welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. So we're um, here this morning, back in our destiny. May the 2nd, it's not long until Star Wars Day. Sorry. <laughs> um, and this is week three, and so far we've looked at um, the fact that we are magnificent, hopefully, uh, that God shows us we are his masterpiece and this morning we're going to just continue to develop those themes whilst dunking digestives in coffee we're going to watch a video which is a song by a guy called Jason Gray you may be familiar with the song um, uh, you may not uh, sorry I've assumed that you will You want to participate, (laughs) giving you a piece of paper. (laughs) You may or may not be busy doing other things. But anyway, I'm not going to tell you the title of the song, because that would give the game away, okay, in terms of the pieces of paper. And uh, something happens during the song, all right? And I just want you to be honest. Actually, you've you've sort of been forced to sit in fairly close proximity to each other. You may actually not want anybody else to see what you write on the piece of paper. Okay, and that's fine, all right? But I want you to be honest. This is not a test. It's not a question of being right or wrong. It's not a question of having a spiritual answer or an unspiritual answer. What I want you to do is be true to how you feel, all right? Because... I think the greatest, one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself is honesty. Don't be afraid of being honest because I think we've even sort of developed a, a little thing here if we're not careful. Well, what is the answer that you want us to give? You know, um, what should I say? Okay, so at least for this morning, <laughs> you write down really honestly on that piece of paper something that sort of uh, goes with what happens in the in the song now okay I won't say any more because it'll just explain itself okay well you'll see when you when you see what happens it will become obvious all right <laughs> don't panic Okay. So my feelings when I see. No, no. What, just watch what happens because in the song, right, you'll see various people and they will write something on a piece of paper. Okay. All right. And then something amazing will happen. All right. Does that make sense? It might do in a minute. So the question is. What would you, word, phrase, what would you write on the paper right now? Anxious, rejected. It doesn't have to be something negative. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you come up with a, you know, a big negative thing just for the sake of making a point this morning. But I think the challenge when we attend a school like this is we probably have moments where we think ah, oh, I know what I'm supposed to say now but I don't actually feel like that or I don't actually think that way um, so I wanted you I wanted to give you permission to either now or later just go away and think about that but then probably not on the second piece of paper on the back of the first piece of paper, write the word. We we pronounce it in this country, beloved. So we don't say beloved. We say beloved, all right? But not quite, so ed, right? Beloved. And it's a strange word. Um, 
I don't know, does it translate into German? When you say, I am my beloved's and he, she is mine, what does, what does that word mean? Does that, do you have a, do you have a, a comparable word? Okay, so, um, what would that word then mean, beloved? How would you, you know, can you give me some other words that would dis- um, help me understand what that word means? Well, whilst you think, Rebecca, what would you... If you couldn't use the word beloved... The one who is loved. Yeah. Maybe by somebody. Yeah. So it's it's the art of being loved. Okay. Now, even that is a very interesting concept because... Or the the practice of being loved, or the process of being loved, and and in that you have to, I have to allow myself, don't I, to be loved. So I have to give you permission to love me. Yeah. Now that might be really difficult. Because the last time I gave permission to somebody to love me, either deliberately, you know, I made that choice, or I I was in a, a situation where it happened. If the last time, you know, that 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 was the situation, and I ended up getting hurt or something else then I'm probably going to find it hard to give you if you come along later permission to love me so I'll give you um, an example uh, my mother will probably never listen to this talk so it's, it's okay but my mother has always been somebody who is very uh, self-sufficient in a good way so she does she tries not to rely on other people and she tries to um, work from a place of her own energy her own emotions um, and and you know does life from the strength she finds within herself do, do you understand what I mean and I've often wondered why, and I discovered, not very long ago, what something that probably explains quite deeply why she is the way she is. Um, in that her, her birth mother uh, passed away, died, when she was um, about six or seven years old. Um, so she had an elder sister and a, and a younger sister and her mum dies now I've never obviously, my mum is still alive she is my mum so I have no idea what, is, what that is like but somebody that significant in your life who you are allowing yourself to be loved by you understand what I'm saying? then leaves at six years old, disappears. Because as a six-year-old, you don't really have a hugely deep understanding of what death is, do you? No? So she leaves. So as a six-year-old, I'm thinking, ah, is this what love looks like? It goes really, really well for a while, and then... You're gone. Okay? So then my grandfather, um, her father, 
uh, meets and marries another lady um, who obviously becomes my mum's stepmom. And it just never occurred to me what was what was going on um, for years and years and years and years. But for some strange reason, after my grandfather died, um, sort of later in life, the lady who I thought was my mother's mother um, moved to the other side of the world, to New Zealand, to be with one of my aunties, who I assumed was one of my mother's sisters, but actually she was a stepsister because she was she was my stepmum's daughter. I'm not I'm not, oh, I'm not losing you. Okay, have I lost you? All right, a bit. Okay, so the lady who I thought was my grandmother was my. Do you know what I mean by stepmother? Yeah. yeah? So she's my she's my step grandmother, and the auntie who I think is my auntie, and I guess I still call her auntie, but she's actually um, that those two ladies don't have the same mother, so. Grandma goes to live with her own daughter in New Zealand, which was really bizarre. You think, why would you do that? But then that was because she wanted to be with her own children rather than her stepchildren. And when you've gone through a trauma like that, then in in your childhood, the the idea of allowing yourself to be loved. From by people who are significant relationship, relationships form in your life can be quite difficult. Now, I'm not suggesting for one minute that is true for you, um, but I think whilst we we may not obviously hopefully all go through something like that, we do actually almost daily go through situations where the the people who we have relationship with, who love us, either do things or say things or things happen which cause us to question the sincerity of that love. And then you start to think, you you then, or, or, or I do, I find it quite easy to sort of imagine you, you do something to, that I find really painful. Okay? So then I think, hmm, right. Well, if I was you, I wouldn't do what you've done to me. Do you understand? So I judge you, I judge the situation. I'm trying to explain why it's happened because I feel so hurt, so betrayed. So whatever it is you've written on that piece of paper, rejected, you know, whatever. Okay? Um, so it's hard at that moment for me to still believe that you love me uh, and allow myself to be loved okay um, but the, the point the, the reason I want to talk about this this morning is because when we understand and we experience as we understand and experience it in a deeper way, how we are God's beloved, okay, and we allow ourselves to be loved by God, the more we experience that, I would like to suggest to you, the more, um, not, not easier, easier is just a bit, it's a bit, a very powerful word, word, but our capacity, our ability, our desire to allow ourselves to be loved by other people and love other people ourselves, allow them to to be our beloved. Yeah, I think that grows. Does does that make sense, or have I completely confused you? Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, because 
it really um, it really like a lot of things you'll hear whilst you're here it, it has become so foundational in my the way I do life the way I think, the way I live that it really has just made a huge impact the fact that I'll, I'll try and put it as simply as this God in all his glory and majesty and infiniteness and everything else chooses chose chooses and continues to choose to love me with a love that I cannot begin to understand or describe or explain but I love if you'll pardon the pun to experience the love of God and the way I love the way I experience the love of God is through the love of you okay Bible's very clear on that so um, I am going to uh, make three references today to this book okay you may never have heard of this guy Brennan Manning um, but uh, the easiest way I can illustrate what I want to say is to simply by reading some extracts from this book is that okay and if you have the time I would encourage you to to get a copy of this book it's only 137 pages long 136 because the end notes are on page 137 and there's not that many words on every page Okay, and this book is called The Furious Longing of God. Okay, so I'm just going to read you a story from here. Is that all right? Okay, so back in the late 1960s, I was teaching at a university in Ohio, and there was a student on campus who, by society's, stop me if I'm going too fast, okay, who by society's standards would have been called ugly. He was short extremely obese okay, and had a terrible case of acne he had a bad lisp and his hair was growing like Lancelot's horse in four directions at once he wore the uniform of the day a t-shirt that hadn't been washed since the Spanish Armada and jeans with a butterfly on the back and of course no shoes 1960s Okay. In all my days, I have never met anybody with such low self-esteem. He had a very low opinion of himself. Okay. He told me that when he looked in the mirror each morning, he spat in it. Of course, no campus girl would date him. No fraternity uh, wanted him as a pledge. He walked into my office and said with his lisp evident, Ah, you're a new face on campus. Well, my name is... Larry Mullaney, and I'm an Athnostic. You're what? He repeated himself. So I said, congratulations, if you ever become an atheist, I'll take you to dinner and we'll celebrate your conversion. <laughs> so he's somewhere between not believing in anything and perhaps there might be God, okay? The story I'm about to tell you is what Larry got for Christmas one year. Christmas came along for Larry Mullaney and he found himself back home with his parents in Providence, Rhode Island. Larry's father is a typical lace curtain Irishman. You won't understand all these terms, but Irish-American, okay, it's they, they, they live in a particular way, okay. So, lace curtain Irishman, even on the hottest day in summer, would not dare come into the dining room without a suit on, usually a dark pinstripe, a starched white shirt, and a, and a tie. He would never allow his, side, his sideburns to grow to the top of his ears, and he always spoke in a low, subdued voice. Well, Larry comes to the dinner table that first night home, smelling like a goat. He and his father have the usual number of quarrels and reconciliations, and thus begins a typical Christmas vacation in the Mullaney household. 
Several nights later, Larry tells his father he's got to get back to college the next day. What time, son? Six o'clock. Well, I'll ride the bus with you. The next morning, father and son ride the bus in silence. They get off the bus as Larry has to catch a second one to get to the airport. Directly across the street are six men standing under an awning. All the men who work in the same textile factory as Larry's father. They begin making loud and degrading remarks look like, Oink, oink, look at that fat pig. I tell you, if that pig was my kid, I'd hide him in the basement. I'd be so embarrassed. And another one said, I wouldn't. If that slob was my kid, he'd be out the door so fast he wouldn't know he's on foot or horseback. Hey, pig, give us your best oink. These brutal salvos continued. Larry Mullaney told me that in that moment, for the first time in his life, his father reached out, embraced him, kissed him on the lips and said, Larry, if your mother and I live to be 200 years old, that would not be long enough to thank God for the gift he gave to us in you. I am so proud that you're my son. It would be hard to describe in words the transformation that took place in Larry Mullaney, but I'll try. He came back to school, remained a hippie, but cleaned up the best he could. Miracle of miracles, Larry began dating a girl. And he became president of one of the societies. By the way, he was the first student in the history of our university to graduate with a 4.2 grade point average. Larry Mullaney had a brilliant mind. He came into my office one day and said, tell me about this man, Jesus. And for the next six weeks, in half hour increments, I shared with Larry what the Holy Spirit revealed to me about Jesus. And at the end of those six weeks, Larry said, okay. In June 1974, Larry Mullaney was ordained a priest in the Providence, it, sorry, in the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. That's where his family lived. And for the past 20 years, from when this book was written, he's been a missionary in South America, a man totally sold out to Jesus. Do you know why? It wasn't because of the six weeks of sitting in Brennan Manning's office while I talked about Jesus. No. It was because of a day long ago during a Christmas vacation standing at a bus stop when his lace curtain Irish father healed him. His father healed him. His father had the guts to get out of the foxhole and choose the high road of blessing in the face of cursing and taunts. His father looked deeply into his son's eyes and saw the good in Larry Mullaney that Larry couldn't see himself affirmed him with a furious love and changed the whole direction of his son's life. That, you know, we've had a father heart week. <laughs> okay. But that for me is an intense example of what it looks like to be loved. Be loved, beloved. Right? You are God's beloved. Right? And in the face of anything, you know, you may or may not have done or said or anything like that, and you you know, I, you know, we don't have to have lived a really bad life. Okay, doesn't really matter. But God wants you to know you are his beloved okay so that's why you can take the rest of school writing things on one side of the piece of paper but make sure you have the word
beloved on the other side and turn it over every day. Okay. Right. We'll take a sip of coffee and we'll read you another story. Song of Songs, chapter 2 and verses 10 to 14. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. For you, the winter has passed, the snows are over and gone, the flowers appear in the land, the season of joyful songs has come. The cooing of the turtle dove. Does anybody, do you know how a turtle, do you know what a turtle dove is? Have you ever heard a dove like, right? It's not like that. (laughs) The cooing of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is beautiful. Come now, my love, my lovely one. Since moving to New Orleans, so he lived obviously for a time in New Orleans, I've got involved in a leper colony. You know what leprosy is? Yeah? Real, really bad skin disease where you lose. Right. So there's a leper colony in the United States in Carville, Louisiana. I've been there many times. I go from room to room visiting the lepers. On one occasion, as I, so this is presumably when he was a Franciscan priest. Brennan, uh, a nurse came running towards me. Brennan, can you come quickly and pray with Yolanda? She's dying. I always carried the holy oil with me to anoint anyone who wants it. So I went up to Yolanda's room on the second floor and sat on the edge of her bed. Yolanda is a woman, 37 years old. Five years ago, the leprosy began to ravage before the leprosy began to ravage, she must have been one of the most stunningly beautiful creatures God has ever made. I don't mean, I don't just mean cute, pretty or attractive, but the kind of blinding physical beauty that causes men and women on the street to stop and stare. In pictures, Yolanda had the largest, most mesmerising eyes, brown eyes, I've ever seen in an exquisitely chiselled face. High cheekbones long brown hair slender waist but that was then now her nose is pressed into her face her mouth is severely contorted both ears are distended she has no fingers on either hand and I'm sorry this is so graphic just two little stumps one of the first effects of leprosy is losing all sensitivity in your extremities, toes and fingers. A leper can rest her hand on a burning stove and feel absolutely nothing. This often leads to gangrene and eventual demands amputation. The Olander just had two little stumps. Two years earlier, her husband had divorced her because of the social stigma attended, attached to leprosy and he had forbidden their two sons, boys aged 14 and 16, from ever visiting their mother. Their father was an alcoholic, complete with frequent violent mood swings. The boys were terrified of him, so they dutifully obeyed. As a result, Yolanda was dying, an abandoned, forgotten woman. I anointed Yolanda with oil and prayed with her. As I turned around to put the top back on the bottle of oil, the room was filled with a brilliant light. It had been raining when I came in. I didn't even look up, but I said, Thanks, Abba, for the sunshine. 
I bet that will cheer her up. As I turned round to look back at Yolanda, and if I live to be 300 years old, I'll never be able to find the words to describe what I saw. Her face was like a sunburst over the mountains, like a thousand sunbeams streaming out of her face, literally so brilliant I had to shield my eyes. I said, Yolanda, you appear to be very happy. With her slight Mexican-American accent, she said, Oh, Father, I am so happy. So I asked, Will you tell me why you're so happy? She said, Yes, the Abba, Father, of Jesus, just told me he would take me home today. I vividly remember the hot tears that began rolling down my cheeks. After a lengthy pause, I asked just what the Abba of Jesus had said. This was her reply. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. For you, the winter has passed. The snows are over and done. The flowers appear in the land and the season of joyful songs has come. The cooing of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Come now, my love, my Yolanda, come. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is, your voice is sweet and your face is beautiful. Come now, my love, my lovely one. Six hours later, her little leprous body was swept up into the furious love of her Abba. Later that day, I learned from the staff that Yolanda was illiterate. She had never read the Bible, nor any book for that matter, in her entire life. I surely had never repeated those words to her in any of my visits. I was, as they say, a man undone. What does Abba see when he looks at What does Abba see when he looks at you? What does he hear when he listens to you? That's a very intense story about death. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not suggesting for one minute that you have to die physically. Uh, to experience that love. But a 30-something-year-old woman who has never read the Bible in her entire life, when she is about to die, can quote Song of Songs. Because God, Abba, is clearly saying to her, I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me. You are so beautiful. You are so special. You are my beloved. So I hope you're beginning to get a sense of what that word means. Okay. I am in a very blessed place in my life. I have a wife and she is my beloved. She doesn't have to do anything to earn that title. She doesn't have to say anything to earn that title. It is my choice. 
I have decided. Okay? I have decided. And she will be my beloved as long as she lives and beyond. It's a choice I've made. And a choice I continue to make. Minute by minute. Day by day. Sometimes I do better than others. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. Okay? But the, the reason I, I give you that illustration is because the decision is mine, not hers. Okay? God has decided you are his beloved, whether you want to be or not. Okay? So my invitation to you is to increasingly explore what that looks like which is part of the reason you're here I guess um, and sometimes it'll make sense sometimes mm. might not make sense but I think as someone who's been enjoying a relationship with Jesus for over 40 years I can say with some experience that it gets better and better. Now, you, you may or may not remember when we did the introduction to school, um, we talked a bit about the history of the church, didn't we? And uh, we told you a bit about a dance and drama group that we used to have. <coughs> and one of the things, and we showed a picture of the dance and drama group black and white picture we used to have black and white photographs and it was of a scene in a, a, a piece of drama we used to do it was a passion play and I don't know whether I, I told you this before but um, I used to have a I, I played a part in this well I played more than one part in this uh, drama and at one point in the in the drama um we used to recreate the scene where uh, Jesus is uh, meets John uh, and Jesus says, you need to baptise me. And um, John's like, no, 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 you should be baptising me. But then it says here, um, I, used, I used to have to speak these words, okay. Um, when Jesus was baptised, he came up out of the water, and behold, heavens opened, and John saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Uh, so this is Matthew 3.17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, and this was my bit, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, I've always had a, like a, a um, the word beloved, you know, has always been special to me because I've, I've, you know, I've been using it, I was using it as a, as a young adult in that context. So I've explored, you know, over the years quite a lot about what it means to be God's beloved, um, one of God's beloved children. Um, and even more recently, you know, as God unfolded the, the delightfulness of that reality to us. Um, Song of Songs, I mean, it, it, it's, it uses this phrase repeatedly, but chapter 6 and verse 3 says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And I think what I just want to do, uh, just to sort of round off, is to give us a bit of time just to think ourselves um, about what, what it means to me, excuse me, to be God's beloved son, daughter um, and the way the way we're going to do this is I'm going to read you one final um, 
story and then I'm going to put a song on and we're just going to relax for a few minutes and we're going to meditate on a little phrase that um, comes out of this little story okay which is for me profoundly simple and yet profoundly important do you know what do you know what profound means it's like oh, okay it's just uh, I mean I don't I haven't researched the, the how, how the word was made up but it is like you find you discover so found in the sense of found yeah profound yeah okay so here we go he has he has numerous stories that he says he'll never forget I will never forget a retreat experience years ago in the Midwest it was a large gathering of people about 7,000 an invitation for healing prayer followed the, the nightly service and I would go into a side room and meet with anyone who felt compelled to come and on one particular night the line uh, it took it took a long time for people to come in and you know just have a bit of prayer so it was well beyond midnight before we finished and I went straight to bed I didn't even bother taking my clothes off I was so exhausted and about three o'clock in the morning, there is a knock on the door. And a squeaky little voice says, Brennan, can I talk to you? I open the door to find a 78-year-old nun. Nuns, people who have devoted themselves to a life of service to God. And she began to cry. Catholic nun, okay. Sister... What can I do for you? We found two chairs in the hallway and her story began. I've never told anyone this in my entire life. It started when I was five years old. My father would crawl into my bed with no clothes on. He would touch me there and tell me to touch him there. He said it's what our family doctor said we should do. When I was nine, my father took my virginity. By the time of I was 12, I knew of every kind of sexual perversion you can read about in dirty books. Brennan, do you have any idea how dirty I feel? I've lived with so much hate, hatred of my father and hatred of myself that I would only go to communion when my absence would be noted. In the next few minutes, I prayed with her for healing. Then I asked her if she could find a quiet place every morning for the next 30 days. Sit down in a chair, close her eyes, upturn her palms and pray this one phrase over and over. It's a prayer of exactly seven syllables, the number that corresponds perfectly to the rhythm of our breathing. As you breathe in, Abba. As you breathe out, I belong to you. Through her tears, she agreed. Yes, Brennan, I will. One of the most moving and poetic follow-up letters I've ever received came from this dear nun. In it, she described the inner healing of her heart, a complete forgiveness of her father, and an inner peace she'd never known in 78 years. She concluded the letter with these words. A year ago, 
I would have signed this letter with my real name in my religious life, Sister Mary Genevieve. Because you know they all get a, a new name when they enter holy orders. But now on, from now on, I'm Daddy's little girl. Be aware, this is not sloppy sentimentality or indulgent wishful thinking, but rather a woman who dared to pray in childlike trust and deep reverence that Jesus would mark her disciple, and in so doing discovered the furious love of her Abba. The greatest gift I've ever received in my life in Jesus is the Abba experience. I can only stutter and stammer about the life-changing power of the Abba encounter. My name is Andy Britton and I'm Daddy's little boy. Your name, you can fill in the name. So, palms out like that, if you wouldn't mind. We're just going to sit here, alright? And we're just going to try it and see what happens. Abba, I belong to you. Would you say it with me? Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. And you can reflect over the course of a few minutes the different emphasis on the different words. So we're going to listen to a song. Um, which which uses that phrase Abba I belong to you I wrote this song from a prayer up in Manning the prayer begins with the word Abba which means daddy Papa
Abba, it's my prayer that we would discover even more how beloved we are. Thank you for listening Amen. to the Destiny Podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.